You know, one of the things I love about sports is kind of the two sides of the spectrum. On one side, you got the buzzer beater, and the other side, you have the blunder. It's like why I love March Madness is because it's filled with these buzzer beaters, these underdog teams taking down Goliath with last-second shots. And one of the hardest things to watch, and you maybe sometimes you feel bad for the team, is that double buzzer beater moment. You know, when the team's down by like two points, they take it down all the way the length of the court with like a second left. They hit that three to basically win the game by one point, but the refs kind of put it on pause because everyone's rushing the court and they put a few tenths of the second on the, the team that's now down two. They heave the ball full court. It goes in and they end up winning where seconds earlier they thought they were out altogether. And the other end of the spectrum, kind of opposite to the buzzer beater, are the sports blunders. Those, those situations where you, you see the athletes just kind of make some mistakes and, and you're like, man, that's just unfortunate. There's the infamous Chris Webber calling of the timeout. There's those, those times in football, like Deshaun Jackson, where he drops the ball right before he crosses the end zone. You oftentimes think, like, what were you thinking, Right? But one of my favorite blunders I saw recently actually wasn't on a sports field or on a court. It was in Jeopardy. Check this out. We'll come to our champion, Manny Abel, first. He had $1,000 was in third place and wrote down what is Iraq and you are wrong it'll cost you $999 that leaves you with a dollar uh, let's go to Carlos who was tied with Fran for the lead at 12,300 he put down what is Azerbaijan and you were right to raise your hands that way because that's incorrect it'll co it'll cost you everything you dropped to zero look at Manny's reaction <laughs> uh oh let's go to Fran now she had 12,300 she wrote down what is Tibet the lieutenant was close when he said Iraq the correct response is Iran so your wager Fran is very important <sighs> You risked and lost it all, and Manny, congratulations, you win the game with a dollar. The smallest win in many, many, many years, and you now have a three-day total. Could you imagine, like, hey, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Jeopardy champion, and I won with $1 one day. You know, it's like Fran, she was all confident at first, and then she kind of realized she had made a mistake. You ever have that feeling, though, of being so close, but also seemingly so far at the same time? And that's a normal part of our life. We come to the edge, we do all the work, we put in the effort, but we can't quite finish it off. And that's what I want to discuss today is this idea of, of perseverance and specifically the perseverance it takes to finish the race of faith and not just to have faith, not just to claim faith, but to live a faithful and obedient life. So you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to say hello to you guys here in Champaign. I get the opportunity to be preaching and sharing this message live in Urbana today. Be praying for us as we're looking to continue to bring on uh, some people to help us share in these live teachings, that value that we want to keep here at First Christian Church. If you have notes, we, we invite you to get those out. You can take them out uh, on the app as well. Follow along with us. Um, and uh, we continue in this greater reward teaching series today. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul continues with these words. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, 
Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write to you the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for these dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have, uh, have reasons for such confidence. So here Paul starts chapter three. He says, hey, you need, to, you need to rejoice, you need to be thankful to God. And then he brings up these dogs, these evildoers, and he begins throwing out this idea of mutilating the fresh, flesh, these, these circumcision idea. Here's what's going on. You see, there's this group of people called the circumcision party or Judaizers. And here's what they believe. They basically believe that in order to belong to the family of God, you had to be Jewish. In order to be Jewish back then, well, there was kind of two ways. Number one, you were born ethnically Jewish and there was something that would happen to all the baby boys around the eighth day. And then they said, but if you wanted to become Jewish, you could uh, have this physical, so to speak, credential in order to be let in. But what also happened, it went above and beyond because these Judaizers, this circumcision party, they also had a way of life. It was like this standard of this is how we live that you need to follow along if you want to be with us. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Dodgeball. Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn. It's a great movie, but uh, Ben Stiller's character, he leads this gym called Globo Gym. And Globo Gym, is, I think is one part in the movie, there's this commercial where their tagline is this. It's, we're better than you, and we know it. And in some ways, that's what the, the Judaizers were. They were very specific. We have these credentials. We're better than you. We're the true Christians because we follow the Mishnah, the clean laws. And essentially is what they took the Old Testament, the laws, the regulations, and they added a bunch of stuff to it. This is what we eat. This is what we say. This is how we do certain things, how we grow our hair. This is how we participate in society. We do these things in these ways. There's a deep us-ness, if you will, to them. And oftentimes they were seen saying, you are not one of us because you are not like us. But if you want to become one of us, you must first become like us. And Paul is saying, these people, they're distorting the truth. That's not the way of the gospel. What Jesus has given to us, what Paul is reminding us of, is that there is no way in which you earn or receive righteousness of God from anything other than God and Jesus himself. That the covenant has shifted, that you don't have to be a particular race or be from a particular part of town or a particular, have a particular identity in order to belong to the kingdom of God. In some ways, it's this, it's that the way of the party system always divides, but the way of the gospel always unites things together. And Paul says, as we begin to learn about perseverance, it's this, is that perseverance of faith begins with personal repentance. That's where we place our confidence. Not anything that you have done or earned or have, or have achieved, rather, it's all what Jesus has already done, what Jesus has earned on our behalf, what Jesus has accomplished. There's no externals. There is nothing that you can do to be made right with God. And Paul continues saying, let me give you a personal example of why I know this to be true. He picks up here in verse four, continuing on in chapter three, Paul says this, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's like, yo, I was a big deal. I was kind of the big cheese around here. But he continues in verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith." Paul says this, like, I used to belong to these people. I know what's going on. I used to be a part of this community. But then I met Jesus. You know, he says, if you want to go all credentials, I've got them all. You need the list. He's like, bam, 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 bam. I come from the family. I come from the money. I did all of the things right. My account, he's using accounting terms, loss and gain. He said, my account, it was flush from my own understanding. From a religious, Old Testament, Jewish perspective, my account, man, it was flushed. It was maxed out. If anyone had uh, a confidence in their account, Paul is saying, it was me. But then I met Jesus. And my personal gains that were on the surface, I realized they didn't really do anything to help Jesus come into my life. I was saying, if I had credentials, I had them all. But Paul will remind the church in Rome saying these words that kind of come into play here. Turn with me to Romans chapter three or follow along with me. He says this in verse nine. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. He continues then in verse 22, which he says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace, talking about Jesus' grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, the way of Christ, the way of the gospel, will always be a way of inclusion, never exclusion. And we need to never forget that. No matter the person, no matter the conversation, we must always see how the gospel is always bringing people in, never pushing them away. It's because God welcomes people based on Jesus, based on his love, his grace, his mercy, his work, not our own. You see, God doesn't welcome you based on your ethnicity, Paul is saying, whether you're Jew or Gentile. We might say to us, is God doesn't accept you necessarily based on, on your identity, wherever you may find it. Your generational identity, your political identity, your monetary identity, what, what, uh, the part of town identity that you ascribe to. He says only those whose identity is found in Jesus. That is where they receive that righteousness. Because here, here's the thing, is if Jesus took that approach towards us, we wouldn't be here today. Think about it. If Jesus said, you got to become like me in order to get in, we wouldn't be here today. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. Jesus was a Jew. He was born in the Middle East. He didn't speak English. He was homeless for, for part of his adult life. The only thing that you and I have in common with Jesus is one thing. 
is that he was human and so are we. That's it. And Paul says, so don't listen to people who say there's something extra that you need to do or accomplish or become in order to belong to the family of God. We are never to set limits on ourselves or others in order to belong to the family of God. Let me say that again. Do not set limits on yourself or on other people where God does not There's one credential to belonging to the family of God. It's have you believed in Jesus Christ? That he died on the cross for your sin? Have you repented of your sin? And do you have a desire to follow him with the rest of your life? That is what makes you a Christian and that alone, nothing else. And so Paul is saying, as we begin to understand this idea of of perseverance, of enduring this life as disciples, as long as it's about being conformed to the image of Jesus, then we got work to do. You see, the only credential to be right with Christ is Christ himself. The only credential in order to belong to the family of God is what God has already done on your behalf. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice what Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, I am a way. Jesus didn't say, I am, I am a possible way. He didn't say, I'm, I'm an additional way, I'm a cherry on top way, I'm gonna, if you're in the mood for a way, oh, it can't hurt to follow Jesus. He said, no, I am the only way, solo, uno, singular way in order to belong to God. That is Jesus and Jesus Christ. That's because being a disciple and living out that faith is not a, a, a gridded out type of thing. It's not a works-based thing. Rather, it's a by grace, through faith, obedient thing. And man, I I hope that encourages you. I I hope that maybe alleviates some of, of the stress or the anxiety that sometimes I think we place on ourselves, trying to live this life knowing we don't we don't do it super well sometimes trying to live this life as a Christian, and we don't always have the kindest words, trying to always be loving, but that's not the first thing that comes out from us. I mean, I hope that that gives you some encouragement, that alleviates perhaps some of that, that, that stress, and at the same time, too, encourages you to persevere, that you're not working to earn God's love, rather, you were living out of God's love and what he has already done for you in Jesus. You see, at this point in, in, in Philippians, I'm starting to feel this tension. It's kind of this, this question of, like, you know, what, why keep going? Do, do we really need to keep pressing on? Well, what if this faith thing gets harder? What, what, what if this whole following Jesus thing doesn't work out the way I wanted it to? What if it's not quite going my way? Paul said, I've been in prison, I've got a lot of opposition been shipwrecked, been beaten. I've got these unruly church members and stuff that I got to kind of corral. And perhaps you feel that way too from time to time. Why keep going? Why keep trying to follow Jesus as best we can? Why keep this faith thing centered and focused in my life? Because at times, I don't know if I want to or if it actually seems worth it. But the thing is, is we persevere not to achieve. We persevere because we have already received Jesus. And what Paul says is we persevere in the faith, not to achieve a greater standing. We persevere to receive a greater understanding of Jesus. 
Sometimes I think, okay, uh, I've called myself a Christian, I've grown up in church, I've been doing this for a little while, and now I gotta get my act together in order for Jesus to love me. Or I'll go from JV to varsity level Christian if I kinda get it all together. You see, in our culture, our culture tells you that you need to earn something to prove your worth. That there is a merit, there is a title, there is a pride, there is a bragging right that you need to do by achieving something. You know, as a young kid, I was uh, in Boy Scouts for like a year. Like, I, I wasn't like, never got to an Eagle Scout, didn't start at the tiny ones, I don't know what they're called. But I was a Boy Scout for like a year. And, and I kind of started late, and so I showed up the first time, and, and I had my, my, my whole uniform on, but everyone had all those like badges and like those little belt buckle things. I had nothing, and I was super jealous. And so I remember going home, he's like, man, I want to be cool like them. I need to get some badges, I need to get some belt loops, I need to be something. So I did what every self-respecting kid would do. I lied. I went home and I made it up that, that, that I kid you not, as a Boy Scout, right, when their values are probably like integrity or something, I don't know. But it's like, I literally lied about all of these merit things that I did. Yeah, I understand birds. I know how to make fire with some twigs and grass. No, I just straight up lied, probably forged my mom's signature on the way, and then went to my next one. Like, man, Eric, you've been busy in the last month. You've got a lot of merit to show. But I learned. I gained nothing as a result. I didn't seek to persevere to actually do the work. I think the question for us is what do we need to persevere against as Christians in America in the year 2022? Because here's the thing. You don't need to persevere against possibly being thrown in prison for your faith. It's just not going to happen. You don't need to persevere like Paul under the threats of a power-hungry empire saying, if you are a Christian, we will take your life. It's not going to happen. But what you and I know that we need to persevere against in today's culture, in our faith, in our landscape, is an apathetic faith. It's a lazy faith, a mail-it-in faith. The faith that just says, aren't I just supposed to be comfortable? Isn't, isn't this whole Jesus thing supposed to make my life easier or better or more peaceful? You know, can't I just like mail it in? Well, you ever ask yourself, well, hey, 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 Eric, maybe you, maybe you ask yourself, you want to ask yourself, Eric, you say, hey, self, you know, theoretically, could, could, I, could I repent of my sins, believe in Jesus, and then just kind of coast for the rest of my life and go to heaven? Isn't that a thing we could do? My answer is like, I, surely, I, I don't know, that's between you and God, but realistically, my answer is, is, is why would you? Think about it. Theoretically, could you, could you go get a business license? I never open your doors, never make a sale, but walk around saying, your boy's a business owner. You never turned a profit. You never actually sold a product. You never actually offered any goods or services. But you could say, well, but I got a business license. Your boy is a business owner. He started his own company. You could, but why would you? See, the Bible never talks about what's the minimum I got to do to belong to Jesus. Because you don't do anything to belong to Jesus. What the Bible says is here's how you respond, knowing the great grace that he has given to you, the depths of your sin that you've been rescued and redeemed from, this new way of living. The Bible is chock full. This is what that obedient life focused on Jesus Christ looks like day after day, week after week, month after month. Paul says this as he continues in verse 10 kind of giving us a greater sense of this idea. He says, so therefore I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on, aka I persevere, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, if I'm going to brag about anything in this life, if I'm going to get all hyped out about anything in this life, it's going to be one thing. It's going to be knowing Jesus Christ. Everything that life has thrown my way, everything that, that I have suffered through, it is a loss compared to knowing that my focus is heavenward and Jesus is at my side. So let me ask you this morning, what do you want to brag about in life? Are you like Paul? Man, I want to just brag about knowing and, and having this deep, fulfilling relationship with Christ, or is there something else? You want to brag about golf game, how many strokes you're able to shale, and I love golf, but I can't brag about that, that's for sure. You want, to, you want to brag about maybe how much influence or social media? I don't know. What is it that you want to brag about? Did you get a new title? You get something? I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you want to brag about in life? You know, it got me thinking, like, what's one of the things in this life that would just actually be super cool to brag about? And I thought about this. I thought about, man, becoming a Navy SEAL would be one of those things that, like, few people can actually brag about. You see, becoming a Navy SEAL is a pretty crazy thing. You have to, you know, kind of, when the final legs, you have to go through this thing called Hell Week. It starts on a Sunday, ends on a Friday. It's one of the most grueling things you could ever do as a human being. But they say uh, that by the time you get through Hell Week, you have actually done more than you could ever thought or imagine, physically, emotionally, mentally possible, 20 times over. There's a reason that there's only a 25% pass rate for the SEALs who enter and actually remain at the other side. So you get to their side, you have earned that right to call yourself a Navy SEAL. Now in the Navy SEAL world, there is one man who kind of stands above them all. His name is David Goggins. We're going to show you a picture of David Goggins here. You might be familiar with David Goggins. You might be familiar with kind of maybe a little bit of his story or perhaps his book. You might recognize him. Um, and here's the thing about David Goggins is he is labeled as the toughest man alive. He's a former SEAL chief. He's the only person to ever go through three hell weeks an entire year. He's the only man to ever become both a Navy SEAL and an Army Ranger. But his entire journey started at the age of 24, where he lost 106 pounds, get this, in three months. And after he kind of graduated and kind of put the SEAL life behind, he became an ultra runner. These guys who don't run marathons, they run like four marathons in a row. At one point, he had ran 205 miles in 48 hours. I don't even know if I've run 205 miles in my entire life. There's a time and period where he held the record for a 100-mile run, which is something they track, in which he ran 100 miles in 11 hours and 19 minutes. He currently holds the world record for most pull-ups in a 24-hour period at 4,030 pull-ups. And by the way, he did that in 17 hours. <laughs> He's got some, you know, time to catch a, like a full night's sleep, more or less. But my favorite thing about him, if you were to look him up on Twitter, David Goggins has 4.6 million Twitter followers and is following zero people in return. 
He wrote this book called Can't Hurt Me in which he kind of talks about his journey, his mindset, and how he does these unbelievable feats. And he says this, he's oftentimes asked about how do you keep going? How do you persevere when your mind wants to quit? And he said this, he said, I built a callous mind through suffering. That's how I learned to persevere. A sheer determination to reject mediocrity. Here's the thing. We might not necessarily as a church or as Christians stand for everything that he believes or how he navigates his life. However, that mindset to persevere, to push through, to reject mediocrity, I think is exactly what we need this day and age to say, I will push aside that temptation to mail it in. I will get rid of the laziness in my faith. I will kind of get out of this mentality that what's the tiniest amount to get over the bar and said, I am going to clear it with flying colors. As Paul says, I've pursued the prize. I have set my focus on Jesus. I will finish the right. That is my goal. See, that's the great thing about, about Paul here. He says, my goal is to live, to know, to understand Jesus. And he's referring to, when he says the word goal, either one of two things, either a finish line or a bullseye. And this is so good. You gotta lean in, you gotta get this. This is, I think, sometimes we could miss this because we don't have, well, our Bible's in English, it wasn't even Hebrew. So, so you need to get this. So, so Paul says, I have a goal. I have a target, I have a bullseye. And that target is to, is to be perfect, to be holy, to be righteous, to be just. That's the goal. I can't do it, he says. I haven't obtained it. It won't happen until I receive just uh, Jesus. Now, the thing is, when we talk about missing the mark, living this life and not hitting the bullseye, it's the same word that we use for sin. Paul says, I have a goal, I have a target. I am a sinner, I have missed the mark, but my target, being like Christ, being perfect, being holy, being righteous, that is my goal. I strive forward to be just like Jesus. But in this passage, I don't know if you noticed where he said where his focus or where it is viewed on. He didn't say, so I look inward to discover the real self. He didn't say, well, look it to my merit badges, look it to my works, look it to my credentials. He doesn't say, well, as long as I can compare myself to his target or her target or their target. No, he says, I focus heavenward. And not that I have attained it yet, but I know that it is coming because Jesus has said it for me. But until then, I persevere. My target is to be like Christ. It is very difficult. No, it's impossible to follow Jesus correctly, obediently, if he is not your goal. Here's the thing that I know, is you will want to quit on your faith. Perhaps that's why you're here today. You're giving Jesus one more shot. All right, God, let's see what you got for me. You will want to mail it in. That the opportunity to go back to that old way of life, those old comforts of sin, that the new self isn't quite kind of, I want to go back to the old self. At least it was comfortable. At least it met some type of, of need, maybe some type of fleshly desire. And it is kind of worth something. It was easy, it was comfortable. I don't know. You're going to want to do that. That instead of pressing on, you might feel the tension to just kind of mail it in through the Christian life. 
Instead of deciding every single Saturday, I'm going to set that alarm, I'm going to get out of bed, regardless of the weather, regardless of how tired I am, regardless of how many episodes of whatever I've been today, and go publicly worship with the body of Christ. Instead of, I don't know, I'll just take another Sunday off. Because one Sunday becomes another Sunday, becomes another Sunday, becomes another Sunday. Then instead of getting into a group with others to study, to pray, to, to hold one another to this deepening of our faith, we want to push it off. We say, no, I'm too busy. No, 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 no. I'm not ready for that. I don't really want people in my business when it comes to me following Jesus. We'll want to mail it in. We'll want to quit on following Jesus to be, to be generous, to give back to him, to begin tithing, or to be using our spiritual gifts to lift up the kingdom of God. No, 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 I'll just coast it. They don't really need me. I'll just show up. I'll be anonymous. I'll just be another number in the crowd. You'll want to quit with spending time to know Jesus. Be distracted by that social media. To not understand the power of the resurrection or the power of the spirit. Instead, just to kind of go with what comes easy. But Paul says, when we focus heavenward, when we focus on knowing and being like Christ, we receive the ability to persevere. You see, we persevere because heaven is our calling. We persevere not because we earn heaven. No, no, no. We persevere to be like Christ. We push back that idea, I'm going to mail it in. I'm just going to do what feels easy. What's the, what's the minimum amount I can get? No, no, no. We reject mediocrity because we say, I am focused heavenward. I see the grace that Jesus has given to me. He died for me. I repent of my sin. I obediently follow him and I await that day. I await that goal. I pursue that prize to know him and to follow him deeper. So as we close this morning, you might be asking, so Eric, how do we persevere? I'm going to end with these two things just real quick. We do two things. We pray and preparedness. We pray. In some ways, that's how we get back into the ring of life, the ring of faith, time and time again. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, we pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop. When you pray, it allows us to say, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Allow me to live obedient. We pray, P-R-A-Y. We praise God. We repent of our sin. We ask God, God, what do you want to do with me this day, this week, this month, with my life? And then we, why? We yield. We listen for God's voice to move us so that we can follow. We pray and we get prepared. There's a preparedness that we find. You see, what preparedness is we make choices now for how we want to respond later. And as Christians, as disciples, this is how we prepare. We get the word of Christ into us. We get into the word so that the word gets into us so that when that time, when that situation, when that conversation, whatever it is, arises, we are ready to respond how Jesus would. We pray and we prepare knowing of what God wants to do through us. We persevere because Jesus has called us to be heaven and on earth. We persevere because we need to embody Jesus and because the world needs Jesus. Would you pray with me as we wrap up this morning's message? Heavenly Father, we, we worship you in this place. We thank you for your word and your truth and the call to persevere. God, I pray for those of us this morning who are feeling that tension to give up, to mail it in, to take it easy. God, I pray that your spirit powerfully 
comes into our life to say, no, 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 remember the goal. Remember the prize. Remember what's waiting for you, heaven. And may that be our source of strength to endure, to press on to your goal. Lord, make us like your son, Jesus. And we worship you this morning. It's your name that we pray. Amen.